You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. He is risen. It's great that we can proclaim our risen Lord because there's so much hope in those words. Without it, we have no hope. So we're glad you're here to celebrate. Um, Welcome to Black Forest Chapel if you're visiting. This is much better than last year. Um, last year, it feels like forever ago, but last year it was celebrating an empty tomb, unfortunately, with an empty room, right? We were, there was nobody here. I was preaching to chairs and my family and a few people, and uh, it's just not the same, and uh, it's not really the same type of celebration, so we're glad we can gather together, thankful for God's grace in that, that we can be here and sing songs and open God's Word together, so... Um, if you would, pray with me as we, as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your presence in our life always. You are sovereign, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are perfect in every way. Lord, you are holy, you are other. <laughs> There's no one like you. And so, Lord, you are the only one to be praised. You're the only one worthy of our worship. So, Lord, we do that this morning. We, we give you praise and glory and honor. We honor your name above all names. Because, Lord, you are the one that saves. You are the creator God. You created everything. And it was good. It was very good. And then, man, we, we sinned. We fell. We rebelled against you and your word. And as a result of that, Lord, we are dead in our sins. Your word says that for the wages of sin is death. And And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can save ourselves, Lord. And so you made a way when there was no way. Lord, you brought us from death to life through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross. He atoned for our sins. He took our sins upon himself so that if we would put our faith in him and believe, our sins would be forgiven and we are freed from the bondage and slavery of sin and from the power of death as Jesus rose from the, from the grave three days later. Lord, that is the, the beauty of the gospel. That is the good news that we celebrate this morning, that you've risen, Lord Jesus, when all other religious figures and historical pseudo-prophets and people that started their own religions and worshiped their own gods, Lord, they're still in their graves, but you, Lord Jesus, are not. The tomb is empty, and you're alive, and because you're alive, and you've been raised, and if we put our faith in you, we are raised with you. We have the promise of eternal life. So we thank you. That's what we celebrate this morning, Lord, and help us to understand your word as we walk through just some passages from the New Testament, some of these truths, Lord. For those of us who don't know you, Lord Jesus, would you please reveal yourself? Show yourself, Holy Spirit. Illuminate the scripture so we might understand. And for those of us who do know you, who follow you as Lord and Savior, help us to be encouraged this morning to live a life in light of the resurrection, that it would truly have transformed all that we, all that we do, all that we say, and who we are. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And before we read this section, this is kind of a, a what-if section. And many of you, some of you, if, if you've heard of uh, some of these icebreaker games that are out there, so if you have a small group or a party or some type of business corporate event or something, and so you um, have an icebreaker, you get to know one another, there's typically hypothetical questions of a really impossible situations, things you would be unlikely to be in, but still, they, you ask, what if, right? And you get answers, and you get to kind of know people, and it's kind of fun, and, and so some examples of those what-if questions, and perhaps you can use them around the, the dinner table tonight if, if you're having some, some people over. What if there was no electricity for one full year anywhere in the world? What would you do? Now, if you ask this question back in the mid-1800s, what's electricity, right? We don't, we, we change that to candles or something else, but what if you didn't have electricity for one full year? What would you do? And so just thinking about that, you just consider your life and all that's, uh, that you do that requires electricity, which is pretty much everything for us, right? Another question, what, what, what if you could spend your life without sleep? So you don't need sleep. What, what if you didn't have to sleep? What would you do with those extra hours, right? Some of you are like, no, I need more sleep. I don't, I don't need less. I don't want to be awake for all this. I want to be asleep. Another one would be, what if you could not make any of your own decisions, but you had to choose someone else to make decisions for you? Who would you choose and why? And some of you are saying, well, that's not hypothetical, Mike. People are telling me what to do all the time. And that's, that's a reality in my life. So and if that's the case, we do have a counseling ministry just for you. You can reach out at the end of the service. And the last one, what if you could change one awful event in world history? You can go back in time. This is the Back to the Future or more recent Quantum Realm Endgame type thing, right? But what if you can go back in time and change one awful event in history, but it's likely that you won't be born then? Would you do that? Would you sacrifice yourself for the sake of this one awful event. So these are, these are once again hypotheticals, they're unlikely, they're, they're just something to think about, but there's a weight to that, right? What if, what if you could do those things? How would that change? What would the effects be? How would that impact your life if these things were true? Well, the Apostle Paul, is, he's not at a party, you know, doing an icebreaker in 1 Corinthians 15. He's, he's writing to the church in Corinth who have had um, many problems since he has, he has left. He's planted this church, on the, on the true gospel message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was born, he's the son of God, he suffered, he died, he was crucified on the cross for the sins of man as a ransom for many, he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. And this is the gospel, the good news, this is what's primary, of primary importance, and this is his message. And, and in light of that, the, the church is born and and Jesus ascends, and the Holy Spirit comes, and the church is, is growing in number. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we look at Acts 2 for a moment. But the church is having problems. They're still very worldly in many ways. And so when he writes to the church in Corinth, he's writing to really, he could be writing to us, right? And we know that the Holy Spirit carrying Paul along as he writes specifically to this church addresses our situation in today as well. Because why? Because we're, we're human beings, right? Sinful man hasn't changed. Our context has, but... And so he's dealing with worldly issues, with divisions within the church. He's dealing with sexual immorality in the church in this letter. He's dealing with spiritual gifts, ordered worship. There's just 
disorder taking place, even with the Lord's Supper, this, this time of remembrance of what Jesus has done has become a mockery. People are just eating whenever they get there. It's all about selfishness. Some people are going hungry. It's not really about worship anymore. Some people are getting drunk. Right? And so Paul is setting all of these things straight, saying, no, this is what this was intended to be. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today as well, as a remembrance, as part of our celebration. But Paul's dealing with all these things in, in, in this letter to the church, and in chapter 15 comes to the resurrection of Christ. And he's dealing with a, 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 a belief system that has grown in the church, but some are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. And, and so Paul is addressing that in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's just read. Uh, I'll start with chapter or verse 1, and we'll read through um, the first section of chapter 15. If you want to read along, <clears throat> Paul says to the church, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so Paul is reiterating, this is, this is where the church began here with this good news. This is the gospel that I preached to you. You received it. You stand on that firm foundation, right? This is, this is how you're being saved. You need to hold fast to this word unless you just believed in vain, unless it was an empty belief, unless there was no effectiveness there. Meaning, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus and I, I believe he was a good prophet and probably a good teacher. And I, I like what I'm seeing with the church and I like kind of the, some of the stuff. I like the community. I like the social aspect. And yeah, I like that there's this, this study group over here. And I like that we go and, and play Frisbee over there. And I like, I like that we have a coffee bar and I like kind of some of these things. I like coming to church, you know, on, on some of the major holidays. It's a tradition in our family. I like all of those things. I kind of believe, but I believed in vain. I didn't really put my faith in Christ for salvation, right? I just grabbed the name of Christ and put the name tag on, and I want to be part of the club. So Paul's making sure, making sure you actually believe this gospel that I preached to you. And he says in verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, and to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. <clears throat> For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, that is with me. Whether then I was, it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So the gospel was preached, they believed, right? They're standing on that firm foundation, and this was the gospel that was preached according to the scriptures. This was God's promise. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which is the gospel, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So somewhere, somehow, the church got corrupted in this belief system that there was no resurrection of the dead. Um, if you know a little bit about um, kind of the religious elite of the time, we know the Pharisees were the primary teachers, and they, they, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. 
but they also heaped on. They believed the, the law still needed to be brought to bear. And so Paul deals with the Pharisees and other, and other churches and um, as he planted them. Galatians is, um, is, a, is a good letter to look at that. The Judaizers, those who are coming in and questioning the authority of Paul. But ultimately they're saying, yeah, you can have your Jesus. You can have Jesus as your savior. But you also, if you want to be God's people, you still need to be circumcised. You still need to be part of Israel by keeping the law. So they're trying to heap on works-based faith when that was eradicated. It's, it's based on faith in Christ alone. There are others, other sects of, of the Jews. Uh, the Sadducees would be one of them that were more politically driven, right? They wanted to keep peace with Rome. They were, they were tended to be wealthy. They were, they monopolized the Sanhedrin, some of the tribunals, the tribunals and the, the councils. And, um, but the Sadducees as a group, um, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in a lot of kind of the spiritual behind the scenes. They didn't believe in angels and demons. They really didn't believe that God had a hand in a lot of what was going on. It was just kind of left to us. And so perhaps there was some of that sneaking into the church. There was no resurrection of the dead. And so they, they make this profession of faith based on Christ being raised. And yet now they're doubting that there's any resurrection for themselves. And so Paul is, is taking this. This is the what if. Well, what if, if this is true, then this is what happens. These are the consequences of that. So he's just taking this, this to the logical conclusion. He's making an argument here. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then not even Christ has been raised. So think about it. If there's no resurrection of the dead, if this is all that we have here on this earth, and once you die, you're done, there's nothing afterwards, then even Christ was not raised. It doesn't make any sense, Right? He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's making this argument again. Do you understand this? Do you get this? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And he flushes that out a little bit later in verse 32. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What's, what's the point? And so Paul is essentially saying here, what if, what if there's no Easter? What if there's no resurrection Sunday? And I think the world would get along just fine. It, it would just be, as it is kind of now, a springtime celebration, right? Pretty colors and some bunny that lays eggs or hides eggs or does something with eggs all the time, right? And not that those things are bad and there's, there, there's fun in that. And if you, you know, if you love to tear the ears off of chocolate bunnies and that's a tradition for you and you enjoy that, then by all means, please go do that. If you like to take the little toxic waste peeps and put them in the microwave and, and have fun with those. I mean, whatever entertains you, it's, it's all good, clean fun, right? Those are springtime things. Those are things that we enjoy. And that's, it's been coupled with Easter, Resurrection Sunday. But for us, if, if there's no resurrection, what are we celebrating? What do we have to look forward to? Nothing, right? And Paul is breaking that down here. So what if, 
what if Christ had not been raised? What if, what if the, really the heart of the Christian gospel is, is gone? What do we have left? And he, and he says it right here. So let's just walk through a couple of them. First of all, not even Christ has been raised. So Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead if, if, if the, the dead are not raised, right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our, our preaching is in vain, meaning our preaching is powerless. It is empty. It's void. It's, it's ineffective, there's, there's no victory of death without the resurrection, right? There's, there's no good news. So essentially, we're just talking about the bad news then, right? So we're sharing the story with someone. Someone's having a bad day, and we're, we, we've, we've learned about the nature of sin and the, that we're sinful. And the, here's the story, and we, we share, yeah, well, this is why the world is the way it is. This is, this is what happened in the fall, and Adam and Eve sinned, and we have inherited that sin, but we're also, we also sin by choice, and, and that sin is is separating us from God forever. The wages of sin is death. We have to die. We, the wrath of God is still on us. We will die in our sins and we will, we will have an agonizing eternity in hell. And this is the reality and the nature of, of sin and what it has done in, in this world. And so we, we can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We can cry all the way up, but we can't save ourselves. We, a lot of people try to work towards it, and I'm going to try to be a good person. And what's the standard of goodness? It's God's holiness, which is perfect. And we can't reach that standard. And so, and so we, we share all this with our neighbor, with our coworker, with our family member. And we share this bad news, and, and then we just sit there kind of quietly. And they're, they're like, okay, well, I, I need a savior. So tell me, what do I do? Brothers, what do we do, right? I, I don't know. Our preaching is in vain, and our message has, is powerless. There's nothing there if Christ has not been raised. Because if Christ has not been raised, then he's not overcome death, which is, what, the consequence of sin. And so we're still in our sins. Our faith is futile. Our faith is in a, is in a prophet, a good teacher, who made all these claims and claimed to be the son of God and said he was going to do these things, and now he's in a tomb and he's still there if he's not raised. And so, what good is that? There's, that's no news at all. That's bad news. And we're, we're still in our sins. And we're lost forever. And so, if Christ is not raised, then it, it, it just diminishes all of those things. And Paul's saying, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. And we're misrepresenting God because we're saying all these things about God. And this, if this isn't true, then, then we're lying about God. And we're still in our sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're, they're lost. There's no hope of the, re- they're, not, they're not with Christ. There's no hope of the resurrection. There's no hope for the future. We're just living a lie. And what does Paul say? We are of all people most to be pitied. I think <clears throat> to some extent, um, unfortunately, as the church, we're not living in light of this resurrection. We're not living, even though we have hope in general, we have peace through Christ. Are we living in light of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he overcame death, that we have a living hope that we will be with him for eternity? Our sins are forgiven. We've been washed clean. Yes, we've been justified before God through the resurrection. Jesus overcame death. And when our life is hidden with Christ in God, it means that we are united with him in his death, but also in his resurrection. And when he is raised to new life, we will be raised as well. There's hope in that. But if we take away the resurrection and we say Jesus was not raised, then there's no hope at all. So Paul makes just this incredible argument here that we're, the, we're, we're most to be pitied. We might as well just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. So we get this picture of Jesus making all these claims, because what did Jesus say? he was going to do. Matthew 16, 21. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 17, 9. As they, Peter, James, and John, were coming down the mountainside, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Matthew 17, 22 through 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. And Jesus had multiple conversations in John 2 about tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And you want, you want a sign? I'll only give you the sign of Jonah, which is what? Being in the whale for three days and he'll be in the earth for three days and he'll, he'll be raised again. So he's, he's giving all of these signs. And Jesus himself said in John, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11, right? He said these words. He, this was Lazarus, his, his good friend that he loved and he died and was buried in the tomb. He was wrapped up and he put it in a tomb and he could have, if he was there, he could have saved him, but God wanted to do something else. He wanted to show his power and be glorified in the resurrection of Lazarus. And so he comes and his sisters, Martha and Mary are, are, are they're, they're, they're torn about this. They're obviously weeping and Jesus enters into this compassionately and he, Jesus wept with these people, with his friends. He's, he's weeping with them, but he knows he's going to be raising them from the dead. It doesn't matter. Jesus is compassionate. He, he sees the, the, the consequence of sin and of death in this life, and he, he has compassion. And then his words to Martha are, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Let me read, just read that section. John 11, start in verse... Uh, 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she believes in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And his question to her is, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. He says, I am the resurrection of life. Jesus is the life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. And so is it any wonder why death had no hold on him? Death had no power over him. In 1 John 5, verse 11 and 12 it says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So do you, do you believe this? Do you have the Son? Because if you don't, you don't have life. And Paul made this argument beautifully. And here's his conclusion after this what if. He comes back to reality. These are the facts of the matter in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And we see he's, he's making this argument at the beginning of this chapter too, that he, he's, he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to all these people. He appears to Peter, right? This is a man who denied him three times, who was cowardly, who shrunk back and, and denied his savior. And yet when Jesus rose again, he restored Peter, and now we have the Holy Spirit coming to bear on the church. And now we see Peter, and we'll look at it in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter proclaiming, let's just, let's just go there now. Acts chapter 2. 
if you know, if you, if you follow along in the gospels, if you've been reading along and you see this life of Peter and, and I mean, I, I kind of have an affinity toward him. He kind of, you know, acts first and, and, uh, you know, apologizes later type of a guy, um, a little bit quick tempered, but he's, he's also zealous. He'll jump out of the boat and start walking on the water and realize, Oh, I'm walking on water. And so right. Peter's just this kind of guy who who's a little bit impulsive, but you, you got to love his zeal and his, his love for the Lord. And, but yet he's still, you know, a sinful man and he, he denied the Lord. And so you, you see this man and you see his life and then you see him here at Pentecost and you see the sermon that he gives and the boldness and the transformation and the change in his life. And so this is, this is different. He's a different man. Something is different about this man. What it's, it's, the, it's, it's resurrection power in his life. It's the power of the Holy spirit, right? This is undeniable that this man has changed. And that's, that's one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection is the transformed life of a believer. You know who you were before, you know who you are now. You're not perfect. You're still lied to. You still have truth to replace those lies. You still have to spend time being sanctified in this world, but you have, a, you have peace in this life. You are, you, are, you, are, you are completely different than the way you were. Although you fall, you get back up. Why? Because of God's strength and his grace in your life. You know that it's not you. We see a difference. I, I, don't, I was saved in college. I was, I gave my life to the Lord as a sophomore in college. I grew up in, 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 in the church, in the Catholic church, but I never had a saving faith and a walk with the Lord that was my own. I didn't have a relationship. I didn't understand the gospel. I was a good works person. I, I did good things. I tried to be a good person, but there was no hope in that. And when the, the good news of Jesus, the, the, the gospel was, was preached to me and the message and I received it and I put my faith in Christ, there was a transformation I was, I was still trying to live a good life, but out of, but out of a different heart, right? To please the Lord, not just to be good for my own purposes, not just to try to earn something. This, I can't earn it. It's by grace. And so the thought of ever being here in the pulpit, preaching God's word, being used of God in any manner um, as a believer, it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I remember my life before that. It was consumed with self and as, as much as I still fight against that to some degree, that has lessened in my life. And now I'm being more and more consumed with Christ. And I'm thankful for that. And it's never easy. It's, it's, it's very difficult, but it's so good. And there's true joy, not just happiness based on circumstance. There's joy that comes that I can't explain. It's only from the Holy Spirit of God. And that is part of our promise as believers. And so I know my life has been changed. I'm sure you can look back and look at your testimony and say that your life has been dramatically changed. And Peter's life was dramatically, I mean, look at this man who denied Christ. And now in verse 22 in Acts 2, as he's addressing some of the mockers who are looking at this, this new phenomenon with the Holy Spirit coming down. He says, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. This is just with confidence, but with humility at the same time. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So he said, you, you saw all these things. God, he, he showed who this man was, that he was the son of God through all these things. You can't deny that. You know what happened. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. It's from Psalm 16. It says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that this God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Praise be to God. We have good news, right? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is just agreeing with God about your rebellion, turning back to him. The Bible says you're a sinner. You're lost in your sins. The wages of sin is death. You cannot save yourself. You can't do it. You just can't. But Christ did for us. He's an atonement for our sins. He's the, the Lamb of God. He, he died in your place, took your sins upon himself. And by the power of God, was raised again on the third day. He overcame the power of sin and death. And if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him from your heart, if you confess Jesus as Lord, right, and believe in your heart that, Jesus, that God rose him, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a promise for you. You don't have to wonder, am I 98% saved? Am I saved today, but I wasn't yesterday because of what I did? No, there's an eternal security that takes place. You will not be lost out of the hands of your father. The Holy Spirit is a seal, a guarantee, a deposit for the life to come. And God sends his Holy Spirit to indwell you. You have the Spirit of God. You have the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead living in you so that you can do this life and obey him and walk with him and and enjoy him. That's the promise that we're given. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So what shall we do? We repent. We turn to God. We agree with them. We ask for forgiveness. We receive the forgiveness that Christ gave. Be baptized, every one of you. Baptism is an outward expression of what's happened inward. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's an ordinance of the Lord. It's a command that God has given us to proclaim and profess what he has done in your life. It's for your joy, for, for you to obey the Lord, to walk in obedience with him, but it's also for the church. It's for others to see and to be a witness of what God has done and to rejoice and give God glory. And so we have a baptismal back here that we remove these panels and there's a big tub of water there. And we occasionally, as people desire to be baptized, to obey the Lord in baptism, we come and they share their testimony. They talk about, this was my life before Jesus. And I've heard the gospel and the good news. And now this is my life. And I want to let people know about that in obedience to the Lord. And they do that. And they go under the water as a representation of being of being buried with Christ. You died and buried with Christ and you were raised to walk in the newness of life. And you come out of the water and It's an amazing experience because when we obey the Lord, there's blessing that comes, right? 
and the people are witnesses. And, and guys, it's, it's almost every time there's usually a young person who says, I want to be baptized, right? If we do a call for baptism, usually some young person says, yeah, I'd like to be baptized. And after we let people know that there's a baptism and there's someone who wants to be baptized, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I think that's a good time now, right? The other people join on because they, they desire for it, but it seems kind of scary to be up in front and to be in front of people and to share your testimony. But this is to glorify your father, When we take steps of obedience, it it helps us to grow in our faith, and we take more steps of obedience. And this is how we grow. And so for those of you who have repented, who have believed in Jesus for your salvation, he's your Lord and your Savior, and you'd like to be baptized in an upcoming service, please uh, email the church, stop at the welcome desk, let us know. And I'd be happy to talk with you about that. But these Israelites are saying, what do we do with all this information? We're cut to the heart. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's amazing. And so Paul answers the question, what if, by saying it, this is what actually took place. In fact, Christ was raised from the dead, and these are all the benefits that take place. And, and so he even talks more in Romans and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians a little bit about why is the resurrection important? Why, why is this so important to us? In Romans 6, 5, it says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 2 Corinthians 4.14, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Our resurrection is tied to our union with Christ. That should be good news to you. We, we get bored with this stuff because we just hear it over and over again. We don't really think about it. We're not really meditating on God's word. And that, that could be an application for you as you go home today, as you spend time with your family. Get in the word. Think about this week. What is, what, what's the point of the resurrection? Why is that so important? Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he was raised again. And that means I have, I have life with Christ. If he's raised and I get to be raised, that means this is all temporary stuff here. I don't have to fear death anymore. Some of you still fear death and you shouldn't. It's actually better to be with Christ. Right? And until he takes us home, we have work to do here. We, have, we can enjoy him in the service that he's given us to do. We can enjoy him even in the, the suffering that we, that we partake in related to his name, the persecutions, all the things that take place in this world that are difficult for those who believe in Christ, we can actually rejoice in those trials, as James talks about. Why? Because they produce in us godliness. They produce in us a closeness with the Lord, an intimacy and a walk with him, a dependence on him. Those are things we should rejoice in. But sometimes we just, these are just words that we use. And we wonder, is our evangelism deficient? Why are people not really coming to know the Lord? Why is, well, are we living out this resurrected life? Do we live in light of the resurrection, that this is temporary and that is eternal? Are we living according to what Paul talks about in Colossians? Colossians 3. He says, if, you have, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if you've been raised with Christ, if this is true of you, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, once, there, he is, there it is again, he's your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This should motivate us to live differently, to live 
a life that's holy, that's consecrated to him, that's set apart for him. And so we start to throw off all these other things. We throw off our comfort and our entertainment, and we sacrifice a little bit for the sake of knowing the Lord Jesus more, to walking with him, obeying him. If, if, if we're really seated above, if we've been raised with him, put our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Why are we focused on all these things? And so we need to meditate on these truths, right? The word meditate actually means to ruminate. So if you think of uh, the best description I've heard, I guess, is the cow, you know, disgustingly chewing his food and then swallowing it and then regurgitating, right? Chewing his cud and then chewing it again and kind of getting all the nutrients out of that food as much as possible. And so I actually, I think I should have a petition in instead of, I might send a letter to Cadbury instead of the Cadbury bunny. I think the Cadbury cud chewing cow, right? That would, look, that would be fun. I think kids would like that. There's stuff hanging out of the cow's mouth. And, but it remind us to meditate on God's word. What is true about the resurrection? Why, why is Easter even important? We're supposed to ruminate. We're supposed to think about that and then think about it again and let God's truth renew our minds versus just having some words that we know as Christians that we're supposed to believe. Because if we really think about these things, if we meditate on these things as Christ has called us to, and Easter meditation is about emptying your mind, Christian meditation in the Psalms and other places is about filling your mind with God's truth, appropriating all of those things, consuming Christ and his word and letting that innervate all of our life and setting our minds on things that are above. It changes who we are. When I, when I look back at this passage at the end of Acts 2, after Peter shares all of these things and all of these truths and like, what do we do with this, Right. And people were added about 3,000 souls that day. At the, at the end of Acts chapter 2 is the, is the famous section, the first century church, and, and all the churches want to model themselves after this church. And so how do we how do, we do this? Let's, we, we, we need to be more devoted to all of these things, and we want to look like this church. And so let's just read this short section here in verse, uh, Acts 2, verse 42. This is the, out, this is the outflow. This is the, the natural progression of people living a resurrected life. They understand what has taken place. They understand the gospel. They meditate on it. They, they've been saved. They've been brought from death to life, right? They've not been tricked by a savior who just, just said all these things and had all these promises, but he's still in the grave, right? This is a God who doesn't just save you from your sin. This is where we've been walking through the story of Exodus. He, didn't, he just didn't save Israel from Egypt. He didn't bring them out of bondage and then just leave them in the desert to die, Right? He saved them from bondage and he saved them to what? Life with him in the promised land. Saves us from something and to something. And so that's why the resurrection is so important. So they understand this. And so what, what do they say here? And they devoted themselves. So this is the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, of course, there's a, there's a need to go. There's a need for evangelism. There's a need to go out, of course. But, but look at what happens here. And this is some people, you know, obviously acts is not necessarily prescriptive in every way that we have to do things exactly like this. It's descriptive as to what happened, but there's principles here. And what really caught me is that he preaches, Peter preaches this word and people, 
or cuts to the heart. And what do I do? Repent and be baptized. And people are being added to their number. And then they're devoting themselves to these things. Why? Because they, they have to. They're, they're called to. They're, they're compelled to by the love of Christ to love one another. But they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because it's the word of life. They want to be fed. They want to grow in their knowledge of God. That's, that's a good thing. How many of us have to go to Bible study? Well, there's a study. I kind of feel bad. I never show up. And I kind of would like to go. And, oh, where's my book? I can't find my book again. I, got, I have three of them now from Amazon because I can't keep losing them in my car, my work. Right? We, sometimes we get in this rut where we think that this is just, I, no, they're devoted to it because they want to know more about this risen Savior. They want to know more about this amazing God who saved them because right? they're, they're seated in the heavenlies, right? They they're no longer have their mindset on earthly things, but on things in heaven, they want to know more. That's, that's where they're going. This is temporary. This is a vapor. This is a mist. This is going to be gone quickly. I want to, I want to know my Lord. I want, to be, I want to be with him forever. I have eternal life because of him. I want to spend more time with him. And so they're devoted to these things, devoted to fellowship. Why? Because we're supposed to love one another. And if we really have the heart of Christ, then we, we have compassion for people. We want to know these people. We want to help them. We want to understand that they're struggling right now and they're wounded. And yes, they're sometimes they, they talk a lot and sometimes they manipulate my time and sometimes they do this and something, but they're, they're, they're God's people. This is my brother and my sister in Christ. And so I want to spend time with them. They're breaking bread. They're, they're praying together. Why? Because they're depending on the Lord. They want to see God's power move in this world. They want more to come. Right? They're selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing to anyone who has need. We don't have to form a commune here. Every time we think of this stuff, we think, yeah, this guy's just going to steal my milk out of the fridge, and this is not, I don't want to deal with that. And No, it's about understanding needs, being compassion, walking with people, talking with people. Oh, they have this need. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to give to them. I'm going to give to this need over here. Why? Because this money is not mine anyway. God gives it to me. I'm a steward of these things. It's not mine. He gives it to me so I can bless others with it. Yes, I have provision for my family and I need to do some things, but overall, he provides everything I need. And so the, our hands are loosened from all these things. Day by day, they're attending the temple together, breaking their bread in homes. All of this is happening and people keep adding to their number day by day. Why? Because they're, they're watching these disciples, right? They will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, by your love for one another. And we love one another by teaching each other God's word, by lifting each other up, encouraging, having fellowship, breaking bread, praying together, meeting each other's needs. We're, we're loving one another when we do these things. But the church has become a byword for many of us. It's, it's something we do when we have time, when we feel like we can fit it in, when other things aren't on the table, if the, if the, if the game's not on, if I don't have to go to the mountains, if I, then, then maybe I'll show up to church. There's no, where's our devotion to heavenly things, to the things of the Lord? Where's our, this is the picture of the church for sure. But, but look at what's happening here. People are being saved because of that. Because they're seeing something different. They're not seeing worldliness. They're not seeing people go to church, but then act like the world. They're seeing something completely different. They're seeing hope. They're seeing true joy. They're seeing suffering. They're seeing people that are hurt and beat down. Things that seem to be unfair. They're seeing loss. They're seeing illness. But they're seeing great joy. They're seeing perseverance. They're seeing strength. They're seeing people. How has this person walked with the Lord for 40 years? How has this person stayed married for 50 years? Right? They don't see that anywhere else. So this is, this is the resurrected life that we are to be living. Are we doing that? Or do we use the word resurrection 
doesn't mean to make ourselves feel better. We, we use the word because we, we do believe it. I'm not saying that you're not a believer necessarily. Some of you have to decide if you are, if you've believed in vain or if you believe truly from the heart. But how are we living? Are we meditating on these truths? Are we living in light of Acts 2? And even at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, what is, what is the response? Paul finishes up here talking about the resurrection of, of, of the body of, um, of Christ's believers. And then he says toward the end, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, verse 54, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Meaning we will have a resurrected body as well. When we die, our spirit will go, we'll be with Christ. And when Christ comes in the last day, we will have a resurrected body that will be glorified. The saying that comes, uh, that is written, and this is from Isaiah 25, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Verse 58, therefore, what's our response here? My beloved brothers, be steadfast. This is for us this morning. Because of the resurrection, because of this truth, because we have hope of eternal life with God, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That's the hope that we have. And so those, <laughs> some of those words, they, they don't quite click with me all the time. Am I steadfast? Am I immovable? Always abounding in the work of the Lord? I wouldn't say abounding. I'd say slowly rolling into the work of the Lord sometimes and uh, depending on the day, right? Am I steadfast? Well, not if I'm not in God's word. If I'm in God's word, it's, it's amazing how much more consistent I am with my conversations and my perspective in life. When I'm not in God's word, when my, the truth of God's word is not uh, renewing my mind, then I'm not. But when I am in God's word and I believe and I'm walking in that um, and that truth, I'm steadfast. I'm, I'm more immovable in those moments. And that's, this is the call. I'm not perfect at it, and neither will you be until we are perfected, but we can move toward holiness and perfection as we are being sanctified. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is, the Lord your, um, it is in the Lord your la- uh, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So our, our labor is not empty. The things that you do here are not empty. The things when you help people, are, it's not empty. It's not meaningless. It has great meaning. It's, it's glorifying your father. It's obeying him. And so think about that as we, as we, uh, as we leave today. And we're going we're gonna to end our time with communion as a means of meditating on these truths of the Lord, of remembering the sacrifice of our Savior. And so if the gentlemen want to um, um, prepare the elements. But I'd like you to just to look at the Acts 2, read Acts 2 again, read 1 Corinthians 15. Just consider your life as it relates to the resurrection. Is the power of the resurrection manifest in your life? Do you live in light of that? Or do you live in light of, of some of these believers who, who, who thought that the resurrection of the dead was not going to happen? Well, what hope do you have? Where is your faith? How do you walk then? We're like the rest of the world who have no hope. Once again, 1 John 5, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's not in anything that you've done. You did not earn this. 
because Christ died for you and you believe in him, you don't have to keep earning it every day out of a attitude of gratefulness and love for the, your savior. We live our life. We do good deeds. We do the works that God has called us to do and that he's equipped us to do. The life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So as we celebrate communion together, we are celebrating this, this life that we have in Christ. We're remembering, we're proclaiming the death of our Lord Jesus as we pass the elements around. And so this is something that was instituted by Christ during the Passover right before his crucifixion. The Passover was to be what? You guys remember this? A remembrance of the Exodus, right? Remembrance of God passing over the homes of the Israelites who had painted blood, who had put blood on their doorposts and on their lentils. The blood of the lamb was to be a sign that their sin was atoned for by death. This was a foreshadowing of Christ, of course. And so they were to remember because after this was taking place, they had to be ready to go because they were going to be expelled out of Egypt because all the firstborn of Egypt would have been, had been killed in the last plague. And so the Passover meal was to be, they had to be dressed and ready to go and have all their stuff ready. And then they would eat this, this meal. And so the Passover was to, as, as a annual remembrance for God's people to never forget what he's done. And Jesus changed that over the last Passover. He made it, he pointed to himself as the lamb of God, as he would take away the sins of the world, that he was going to die on the cross. And so, and so he used the elements to represent himself. And so now as his church, um, we are commanded to do the same. We are commanded to remember. And how often we do that is really up to us, but we, we do this as a body, as God's people. So if you are not a believer this morning, please let the elements pass by. Witness the body of Christ. Witness um, God's people together partaking in this celebration. But please let those elements pass by. If you are a believer, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of the family of God, please partake with us as we celebrate together. I believe the wafers are gluten-free, correct? So they're all the same. Um, there should be two cups stacked together. Uh, the bottom one will have the, the bread and the, the top one will have the juice. So if you would just hold the elements and then we'll partake together once we all have them. So as, as, we're being, as these are being passed out, um, please just consider your heart in the moment. Um, spend some time examining your heart, anything against the brother or sister. If you have something against someone um, that's, that's, you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to go talk to that person um, before you partake, let it pass by you. But if, if you want to just spend some time and, and be with the Lord and uh, repent of any sin that comes to mind that the Holy Spirit brings, uh, this is a time to do that. This is communion with your Lord right? We don't commune with him when we have something between us. So, so spend some time thinking about it and then we'll partake together. So uh, gentlemen, if you'd pass out the elements and I'll leave us with some silence as we consider what we've heard this morning. Let's all bow our heads as we just consider our savior. Just consider this Jesus, the son of God, fully God, fully man, and a mystery. We can't fully explain, and that's okay. God's seen the state and the consequences of sin, and he made a way. He sent his son, born of a virgin, born in an obsolete town, no pomp and circumstance, deserving of a king, but he was born and he obeyed completely the father. He only did what he saw the father doing and what the father said 
He was without sin, tempted in every way that we, we have been, but he was without sin. He was suffered, horrible, agonizing, humiliating death on a cross at Calvary. And he went willingly for our sake. And by his blood, we are healed. Our sins have been atoned for. If we put our faith in Christ, our, our sins are forgiven. And he died and he was buried. And on the third day, the power of God, he rose again. And we celebrate that this morning. We have the hope of eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us. And so as we partake together of the bread and the cup, let's remember what he has done. Remember that he's coming again. And there's great joy in that. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's pray together as we close our service. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that your words have life. Thank you that you are our life, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the hope that has come because of the resurrection. You were raised, and so we will be raised. We are currently, Lord, citizens of heaven, seated in the heavenlies, and our focus should be in that direction as well. Help us, Lord, in our, in our great need. We are not just distracted, Lord. We are tempted, and we give in to those temptations to live as the world does. We often compromise ourselves, Lord. Father, help us to live differently, to be different, to rely on you, Holy Spirit. Please fill us, help us. Give us words to speak when we don't have them. Give us strength when we don't have it. Help us to see clearly. Help us to hear your voice in the midst of the noise or all around us, Lord. Help us to be sensitive to you, to keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord Jesus, to proclaim your name in this earth to share this good news with others, to not be scared, to not reject you, to not be embarrassed by you in any way, Lord. If, if this is truly our hope and this world is temporary and there's nothing greater than our love for you, we are compelled by your sacrifice for us, Lord. Help us to live in light of that. And as we live and as we are in your word, Father, and as you're teaching us and as we fellowship together in obedience and as we break bread together and as we are in prayer together, Lord, as we are doing these things, may the world see and come and ask about this Jesus. Help help us to have words to share with them, words of life that come from your word. Help us not to be scared, Lord. Help us to be bold. Help us to be loving and compassionate toward those who are lost. As we go today, Father, continue our celebration with our family and with some food and just enjoying your day that you have made for us. We ask you to help us to be honoring and pleasing to you in all we do and say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. 
You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.